Hi, I'm Bob Ramsey, Toronto writer and commentator. Twice a week, I offer my take on the world, from craven politics and unchecked ambition to secret sauces, bitter loss, and fist-pumping redemption. They're stories to live by. Quirky, high-style, tear-jerking, funny ha-ha, sometimes funny peculiar. My tales don't walk down the sidewalk and browse in the windows. They sneak into alleyways and come out onto different worlds. Alex Brown narrates each mini-podcast to bring to your ears what you see with your eyes in my twice-a-week blogs. And now, today's episode of Ramsey Writes. Terror Times Two. Written by Bob Ramsey. I was in New York on September 10th, 2001, to meet travel editors. I wrote a lot. I traveled a lot. So I thought, why don't I do both at the same time? A friend got me an interview with the managing editor of Condé Nast Traveler, which was like talking with God. He casually said, A place is not an idea. His point was, travel writing shouldn't be an endless, we went here, and then we went there, and this place was lovely, and that wasn't. It has to be about something else, which is also true of most other writing. Twenty years later, his words prove even more true. How I spent my summer vacation can be told on Instagram and Facebook. Why I spent my summer vacation is worth reading about. He left me with a test and invited me to email him if I got the answer. Tell me a new way to write about islands. Our islands issue is coming up, and I need new ideas. All the way back to my friend's apartment, where I was bunking in for the next two days near Central Park, I thought of that and came up empty. When I went for my early morning run the next day in the park on that gloriously perfect Tuesday, I could think of no new way to write about islands. I cut my run short because I had interviews with other editors and had to shower and dress and head downtown. I turned on my friend's TV when I got in and saw that a plane had flown into the World Trade Center. By the time I got out of the shower, two planes had hit the towers. It's amazing how you behave in a crisis and how you remember that as well. Even though I was nowhere near the inferno, I first thought, I'd better postpone those two interviews till later in the day and called and called for a couple of hours, reaching no one. As I saw the unfolding horror and the towers collapse, I thought, I'd better stock up on food. I could be here for days. So I went outside to Columbus Avenue, walked into a deli, and bought pasta and sauce, milk and coffee. Jean, meanwhile, was at our cottage writing her first book. The radio was off, as always when she wrote, and it was only when a patient called and happened to mention the attacks in New York that she, well, when we were talking the night before, I told her I had two interviews today downtown, which she now heard as in the World Trade Center. I couldn't reach Jean's mobile, but called her office and told them I was fine and to please call Jean and let her know. Meanwhile, driving frantically to Toronto, she had called the three kids and told them all to meet her at the blood donor clinic on college because the radio had said there would be a huge need for blood in New York. By noon, officials had grounded all flights in and out of New York for, well, no one knew for how long. I had to get back to Toronto, so I decided to rent a car. I walked downtown and west to 9th and 59th, where the rental outlets all were. I went to the Hertz place. No more cars. 
Avis had a handwritten sign, out of cars. Same with budget. There was only one more chance, enterprise. The door opened and I saw a couple of dozen people ahead of me. I quickly joined them before the door closed behind me. Five minutes later, a woman came from around the desk and started counting us. One, two, three, four. She got to me, 19. Then the man behind me, 20. Okay, Bill, she said. We've got 20 cars and 20 people. You'd better lock the door now. The line finally shrunk to just me and the man behind me. I took out my credit card and driver's license. The Enterprise woman asked for how long I wanted the car. Five days. I see here you have an out-of-state driver's license. You'll be returning the car here? Right, I lied. I got in that car and drove it until I found a secure parking lot and stashed it away until the next morning, when I hoped I could make my getaway north by the George Washington Bridge and home to Canada. Some news outlets were saying you couldn't exit Manhattan. Others said you could. Still others said you couldn't enter Manhattan. I tried all day to reach my friend whose apartment I was staying in. She was a senior officer with the TD Bank in New York, and her office was three blocks away from the World Trade Center. Was she dead or alive? By late afternoon, the full extent of the carnage was clear. At six o'clock, she walked into her apartment, looking bedraggled and ashen, because she'd walked from her Wall Street office along with tens of thousands of others. She had a spare pair of running shoes at work and was wearing them. We decided to go out for dinner. She turned up her nose at the prospect of my home-cooked pasta. Half the restaurants were closed and the open ones were empty. We went into one of these and I remember we talked about how many people had died in the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and that Pennsylvania field. She guessed 25,000 and I guessed twice that. We went back to her place and turned on the TV. Every single channel was covering the tragedy. As we flipped the dial, up popped Peter Mansbridge on CBC. I asked her, do you get CBC in New York? She didn't. It was the weather network, and I learned later that CBC News was their default network for national crises. But the sight of the Toronto Police SWAT squad guarding the CN Tower against terrorists gave me pause about driving home the next morning. We also saw on the news that a couple of speeding cars on Riverside Drive were shot at by police for speeding. Shot at? This is the route I was taking to get to the George Washington Bridge. So the next morning, I said goodbye to my friend and headed north very slowly on Riverside Drive. I got on the bridge and looked downtown and only saw a lot of smoke. Coming into the city in the opposite lane, however, were all kinds of military vehicles. I headed west and north with my radio on all the time. I remember nothing about the roadside motel I stayed in that night. The next morning, rather than coming through the Canadian border in Buffalo, I decided to go via Gananoque in the Thousand Islands east of Kingston. There were no other cars when I pulled up at the Canadian border kiosk. Fifty yards ahead of me was an OPP car, parked across the road with one officer standing by the driver's door with a shotgun. Hmm, different. The immigration officer asked for my papers and her colleague immediately ran a portable mirror under the car and asked me to open the trunk. She said, You have Arkansas plates and Ontario driver's license and you rented this in New York. Why? I told her my story. She then said, 
but it says here you're returning your car to New York in four days. I told her more of my story, that this was almost the last rentable car in Manhattan, and that I was going to turn it in when I got to Toronto. In fact, that was the very first thing I was going to do. She looked at me, looked at the contract, looked at me again. Okay, you don't look like a terrorist. Driving now on the 401, I saw something strange, an airplane. Hadn't they all been grounded? It seemed I was driving by the RCAF base at Trenton. I called Jean and asked her to meet me at Union Station, where I was going to drop the car off at the Enterprise desk. I knew I'd be paying a hefty penalty for a one-way drop-off in a different country, but I was safe. I got to Enterprise and the man behind the desk looked at me, looked at the contract and said, You know you'll have to pay extra to drop it off here. I do. Let me see how much. He spent a very long time with his calculator, looked up and said, Fifty dollars. Fifty? I said in disbelief. Yes, fifty. Fine, no problem. Thank you. Thank you very much. I walked to the corner of Front and University with my bag in hand with its LGA tag from when I'd landed in New York two days before. I spotted Jean. We rushed into each other's arms, both of us madly hugging and crying. That night was pizza with the kids, with everyone still glued to the TV. It turned out there was no need to ship blood to New York, and that the death toll wasn't 25,000, but 3,000. Still, it was the first shot in a war that continues 20 years later. Oddly, Jean and I were there for the second shot on American soil, 12 years later, in 2013, at the Boston Marathon bombing. Jean had finished the race 10 minutes before the first bomb struck on Boylston Street, and it took four hours for us to find each other in the chaos. We were booked on an 8 p.m. flight home, but we decided to check out of our hotel and head to the airport to get an earlier flight. On the way in a cab, my phone rang, and it was our Marine Corps marathon friend from years ago who now worked for Homeland Security. He asked how we were doing and where we were. He then said, They're closing the airport in 30 minutes, so go there, rent a car, and drive home. I hung up, took out my Enterprise reward card, and when we got to the counter at Logan, rented my second out-of-state car, claiming a second time I was returning it where I'd rented it. The next day, we made our way to Gananoque for the second time. Almost got turned back again, paid a small penalty when I turned in the car at Union Station, and hugged and wept with our family when we met them in Toronto. And whatever happened with that travel piece about islands? Well, Manhattan is an island, right? Today's Ramsey Writes was read by Alex Brown. For more information on Bob Ramsey, his work, and all the other things he does besides writing, go to ramseyinc.com. That's R-A-M-S-A-Y-I-N-C dot com.